Spring is halfway over, and what have we learned? This is the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. You are locked on Ole Miss. Your daily podcast on the Ole Miss Rebels. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Ole Miss Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Willis. Thank you for tuning in on this Thursday morning. Um, if you want to go back, we have video from Pratt Rogers last night. Um, we're going to talk to Derek Vandy Griff today. Anyway, though, thank you for making the Locked On Ole Miss Podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. So look for us there. Subscribe to the channel. We'd appreciate it. Also, what have we learned in the spring practices so far what are the things that we are starting to know for sure there's going to be some people out there i understand this that says you can't pick out anything with spring practice and yes if you want to look at 11 on 11 game type situations it is difficult to do that but if you want to drill down and kind of look and see who is actually performing you can do that in spring practice there's a reason they have it if they didn't make you better if they didn't help you would not do it, period. Sure, there's the chance of injury. Sure, there's all these negatives that could be associated with it, but they still do it anyway. It's just something to keep in mind as well. So looking at the Ole Miss offense in 2023, I think this quarterback competition is not settled. I'm not ready to go there, but it is predictable at this point. And two months ago, it was not predictable. It was anything but predictable. You've heard us talk on this show all the time about what we expected to happen and what we wanted to happen and the different scenarios that were playing out in our head. And one of those scenarios is playing out, and that is Jackson Dart actually balling. One thing that is absolutely playing out is Jackson Dart balling. Walker Howard having a really good spring practice. What we couldn't tell you is that there would be a little bit of a gap developing between um, Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders because at the end of the day, we do expect this quarterback competition to be about them. Period. There's no real way you can get around that. It needs to be about them. And the winner of that quarterback competition is going to be the starting quarterback of the Ole Miss Rebels period. They're going to take the field against Mercer. Number two, though, I think is going to be Walker Howard, and I think his play this spring has enabled that to become a real thought and not just a magical thinking type thought. Something that they can actually look forward and try to do and try to accomplish. So we'll see exactly what happens with that, but we're expecting at this point quarterback rankings, Jackson Dart number one, Walker Howard, number two, Spencer Sanders, number three. And I do not see that changing in spring at this point. Now, in fall camp, there's stuff that can happen. There's absolutely things that can happen in fall camp. But right now, that is how this stands. The second thing that we have learned from spring practice is the defensive line's okay. We've heard a whole bunch of people. And it's always quite funny because everybody has opinions, including me, and we're right, we're wrong, all of this. But one thing we started hearing during spring practice, and I'm not going to name names or anything, was that 
this defensive line needs help. This defensive line needs depth. It doesn't have enough players. It doesn't doesn't have exactly what they need. And then yesterday, Lane Kiffin came out and said, was talking about how the defensive line has to be the best, be the chance to be the best position group on the team. And that is something we've talked about. J.J. Pegues is an NFL three technique on the defensive line. Josh Harris is a former four-star. Xavion Harris, a former four-star. Jared Ivey has completely remade his body and looks like an NFL defensive end. I expect him to be a defensive end similar to Marcus Tillman type, a, a true strong side defensive end. I think he'll end up playing at somewhere around 275, 280 next season. But I, I think it, on the strong side defensive end section, I think he will be there. The candidate early on for Jack, I think, is Cedric Johnson. I think that is who they're eyeing at it. Now, the kid from Southwestern Community College, I think it's Jameer Lewis, I think is his name. If I'm wrong, forgive me. Um, DJ Holmes, you got young guys that are waiting in the wings. But you do have a super athletic type like Cedric Johnson that has a chance to make a name for himself. Sure, with him playing over there, you lose a little bit of the linebacker play that a Jack normally does. It limits you a little bit defense. But we've talked about how this team and this defensive team has a chance to be clunky in year one. Nothing against them. They're going to be fine. But I don't expect this defensive team to be top 30 in the country year one. Anybody that claims that they're probably thinking of the wrong thing. I expect this defense to be clunky, but I expect them to be good in certain avenues. And I don't know exactly which one it is, but what I mean by that is maybe this team creates a lot of turnovers. Maybe this team is really good in the red zone. And that defensive line is going to help them do that because Jared Ivey can get after the quarterback. Cedric Johnson can get after the quarterback. J.J. Pegues is going to suck up double teams. Um, Josh Harris... Xavion Harris, if they're any good, they're going to suck up double teams. And if you look at the offensive line, there's five players, four defensive line, which means you can double team one of them. But that's going to make things really difficult for you if they send a linebacker, if they get creative with their what they're coming downhill. So if Ole Miss can force a team to create a double team and eat up one of those offensive linemen, that is going to be single players. If J.J. Pegues can do it, Cedric Johnson is going to have one guy on him. And that's a bet that I'll take most times. Jared Ivey, one guy on him. Same thing. It's a bet that would take most times. So the defensive line has a chance to be pretty good for Ole Miss in the fall. I'm, I'm excited about it because this defensive line could be a very important cog. That's just a couple of things we've learned. We're going to hit on them over the next couple of practice as we get ready for the Grove Bowl. We have an open scrimmage Saturday, but next Saturday is the Grove Bowl. So we're going to start like what we're looking for, what have we learned, that type thing. We're not just going to focus so much on the quarterback competition, which right now it's not much of a story. Everything's kind of going like we expected it to go. It just kind of is what it is. All right. 
This show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. The NBA playoffs are almost here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel. It's America's number one sportsbook. Because no, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sports app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Yes, I am aware that in the state of Mississippi, you have to go to a brick-and-mortar casino. I am aware of that 100%. But if you go to Memphis, Tennessee, if you go to Jackson, Tennessee, if you road tip trip to Nashville or go down to New Orleans for the Tulane game, if you're going to Baton Rouge, Shreveport, even over the river to Delta, Louisiana, you can download the FanDuel Sportsbook and take advantage of it. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to threes drain. So FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with same game parlay. It could be something like Riley Green, you know, one hit against the Houston Astros. Um, you take the money line in the game and you also bet off of, you know, number of runs that are going to be scored between both teams or something like that. That is what the same game parlay would look like for Major League Baseball since we're in baseball season right now. So don't miss out on your chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It's an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, thanks again for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. It has everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. Plus, you get to hear from big-name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked On College Basketball is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. First segment, we talked about what we've learned so far from spring practice, and there are some things that we can learn from spring practice now. I'm going to tell you why this tight end room right now is exciting. And as you know, I am team 12 personnel. One running back, two tight ends. That That is the team that I am on right now. Because Caden Priestcorn and Michael Trigg together have a chance to be an elite unit in the middle of the field. And we know that when this offense is clicking, it really tortures linebackers. Now, some of you said, I've repeat myself, so... Uh, apologies. This is what this offense does. The jet sweep is a huge portion of this offense. It is designed in that motion to cause a false step laterally from a linebacker. That could open up a run game. That could open up a pass game behind them. Now, if they start taking false steps there and to the line of scrimmage or going back to pass route, that is going to give you more space. And whenever this offense clicks, you can see that for instance, Quinshawn Judkins could be in the second or third level before he gets touched. It's effective. There's so many things that we can do by just manipulating linebackers, having a deep threat on the outside, and you can hit them short, medium, and long, and have them kind of guessing what you're going to do. That's kind of the RPO thing that is designed. You know, if they come forward to start the run, you throw behind them. You know, if they are coming up towards the line of scrimmage, you go outside. Everything is designed to affect them. At the end of last season, the offense was not affecting linebackers at all. Linebackers were teeing off on Ole Miss's run game. Mississippi State had 15 or so tackles for loss. Texas Tech had a similar number, and that is because they didn't have to worry about the lateral moves from a jet sweep because the snapping problem that was pretty consistently had till they just quit calling the jet sweeps 
and you have the pass game in the middle of the field, which was virtually non-existent. Those two things affected the linebackers and allowed the, them to play Ole Miss and allowed it to be easy to play Ole Miss. Now, Ole Miss had success against certain teams. Against Texas A&M running the ball, you can beat that with numbers. That's a numbers game. But whenever you play a, num a, a typical physical-style SEC defense, it's going to take more than numbers. It's going to take numbers and scheme. And if you can affect those players, it is going to help you out. Now, with Michael Trigg and Caden Priestcorn, what makes me excited is the middle-of-the-field usage that they could use. Michael Trigg is a very freakish athlete. If everything goes well and everything gets right, he has the talent to be a Brock Bowers-type tight end playing in the SEC. Yes, I know what I'm saying right there. A Brock Bowers-type tight end. And you have Caden Priestcorn, who is essentially, I mean, can you compare him to somebody like Dawson Knox? Can you compare? I mean, that's the body type. He's a 6'4", 6'5", kid that's 240, 250 pounds. So you have some size, and they can run a little bit as well. But as many people have told you, he's a hand-in-the-dirt tight end. Michael Triggs more of a flex tight end. And those in unison have a chance to where you can put 12 personnel on the field. Okay? Put 12 personnel on the field. But the offense doesn't technically look any different than it normally does. Priest Corn is playing the traditional tight end role in this offense. Trigg is out in the role that Dontario Drummond, Jordan Watkins, Elijah Moore, those guys have played out in the slot. And you can run the same offense that you already run. But your run game is going to be significantly better because of what you're blocking. You've got mismatches set up in the slot if you want to play the RPO game. And the only thing that I'm concerned about is that wouldn't limit your jet sweeps a little bit. So maybe a tight end sweep here and there just to make them respect it just whenever Michael Trigg is in the game. But I am really excited about what 12 personnel could do. On the outside, you have Chris Marshall. You have Trey Harris, potentially. He is not playing at the moment. But you also have young guys, Jeremiah Dillon, um, Braylon Brown, those guys, Brandon Buckhalter, moving up for playing time. These are talented, talented kids. And you have a mixture on offense right now that is unlike anything that Ole Miss has had in my lifetime. And if you look at me, you can tell I'm old. I've been around a little bit. My first game was Steve Sloan's last. There's a people older than me. I'm not saying that. But, I mean, I was I was watching games and everything. that any As soon as Billy Brewer was coaching, I was paying attention. So we go back 40 years at this point. And in those 40 years, I've never seen an Ole Miss offense look like this. I have never seen an Ole Miss offense that could, could – dominate and get extreme offensively to where what happened in 2020 during the COVID year when Ole Miss was scoring over 50 points, Matt Corral had a ludicrous number of passing yards. The interceptions were there, but I mean, in 10 games, he had like 3,700 yards passing. I mean, that's, that's a legit thing. This offense has a chance to compete with that with effectiveness because when you look in the backfield, you have a Walter Camp first-team All-American, period. You mix that with this tight end room. This is this is a tight end room where immediately Casey Kelly just looked at it and said, I'm not going to get on the field, guys. 
I need to go find something or I'm just going to be playing scout team as a senior. And on the offensive line, everybody's going to wonder about the offensive line. But part of Jackson Dart's growth and maturity is recognizing the internal clock that's going on in his head. This offensive line run blocks most of the time. If you hold the ball too much, the rush is going to get to you. It's not because they're getting beaten pass protection. And that's not the way it works. You're run blocking. On an RPO, you're run blocking every play. Which means you're not absorbing contact. You're not shielding like what happens in pass blocking. If you hold that ball too long, you're going to take unnecessary hits. You're going to put strain on the passing game. And you saw that last year with Jackson Dart. So he has to get better with that internal clock. Not turning the ball over either, but understand that internal clock. He does like to throw the ball downfield. He's going to take some hits, but we need to limit that as best we can. This offense has a chance to be really special, and a lot of that is due to what this tight end room can be. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to have Derek Vandegrift talking about the Arkansas series this weekend. Should be good. Can Ole Miss kind of recover, turn it around this season. We'll talk to Derek about it in just a second. Stick around. Thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are, in fact, free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. Do us a favor. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell for notifications. Comment down below and upvote the video itself. We'd appreciate it very much. We're here with Derek Vandegrift for our weekend series preview that we do every week. Ole Miss plays the Arkansas Razorbacks in Swayze. I think it's in Swayze. Um, yeah, this it, weekend, it, yeah, and it's just in the middle of this meat grinder of a schedule that Ole Miss is going through because they still have, you know, they have to go three three games against State. They still have three games against LSU, and then it gets a little bit easier. But man, the mm-hmm. SEC is just no joke, man. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an absolute bear. You know, we we talked about it coming into the year. These first six weeks of conference play, how. Uh, how tough it was, you know, with Vandy and Florida and A&M, Arkansas State and LSU. And, and you sit there and you swap home and away week after week, too. So you don't really get a chance to get in a groove playing a bunch of games in, in Oxford, uh, you know, kind of stack wins a little bit. But, you know, big time series coming up this weekend, a big baseball rivalry, Ole Miss and Arkansas. You know, that's that may be our biggest baseball rivalry, all the big games we've played over the last five to ten years against each other, whether it be in Omaha or in the Super Regionals, you know. Uh, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely a big one. The Rebels really, really need to take two this weekend to stay on track. Yeah, and Ole Miss's struggles at the beginning of SEC play this year is kind of overshadowing the fact that Mike Bianco became the second all-time winningest SEC coach um, after the win over Memphis midweek. I, that That's yeah. a pretty pretty big deal. He passed his man Skip, Skip Bertman. Um, which yeah. probably meant a lot to him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, huge congratulations to Mike Bianco. You know, uh, always been a huge fan of him, obviously, what he's built this baseball program into. And, you know, it's nice to see all of his hard work pay off over these last 20-plus years, you know, and, and to be able to pass such a legend like Skip Bertman, who's probably the best coach in SEC history, you know, with all the titles he won down in Baton Rouge. And uh, just super happy for Mike. And, you know, it kind of shows you how good Mike Bianco has been throughout his years here in Oxford. You know, uh, you, you don't get to that kind of number uh, 
you know, in, unless you're really consistent year in and year out, he's never had that absolute dud year. And, you know, that's that's kind of where this comes to. So congratulations to Mike. And, uh, you know, now the next one up's Ron Polk. It's going to take a few years, you know, 19 years, something like that. But, uh, you know, if he, if he keeps the train rolling, I think he's got a chance to pass him as the all-time winningest coach in SEC history. And, you know, I hope he does. And more than anything, I'm, I can't wait to be on – be on the ride with him just to see if he can catch him. Yeah, and if Mike Bianco wants to break that record, um, Mike Bianco will break that he record did. because he's like 55 years yeah, old at this point. Yeah, he's he's got plenty of time ahead of him, you know. And, you know, it's it's kind of like we just said, you know, he, he never has those absolute dud years. He's going to win, you know, 30 games a year, it seems, every single year. So, uh, yeah, you know, we're really excited to see if he can catch him or not. It's going to be a fun ride. All right, the Arkansas Razorbacks, as we said earlier, coming into town. Tell me about the Arkansas Razorbacks. I know that they had some arm injuries on their pitching staff. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. What are we looking at? Yeah, yeah, they've, they've had Brady Tiger go down. Uh, they're going to end up getting him back at some point this year, it sounds like. He's starting to ramp things up. Uh, luckily, it doesn't sound like we're going to end up seeing him in Oxford this weekend, so that's obviously a plus. But uh, still a really good ball club, though. Uh, Dave Van Horn, extremely good coach, obviously. I think he's, uh, you know, fifth all-time in SEC wins, if I'm not mistaken. He's just by, just behind Bianco, like 40 games, 50 games, something like that behind him. So, uh, you know, he, he always has a really good club. And, you know, this, this one's no different. It's a really, really balanced Arkansas Razorback club. You know, they uh, – they pitch it okay, especially on Friday nights. Uh, what's what's interesting with them is they took their ace, Hagen Smith, and they actually moved him to the bullpen. That way they can pick and choose where to use him on the weekends. A lot of times you'll see him coming out of the pen on Friday night to eat up the last four innings or something like that. Uh, you know, if it's a close game or like last weekend, they end up getting blown out on Friday. So they saved him for Saturday, and he come in through four or five really good innings for him. So uh, definitely an interesting uh, strategy that, that Dave Van Horn's using over there, but it seems to be working for him. They're, uh, you know, a club that, that pitches fine. They're, they're not like Vanderbilt or, or, or Florida level from a pitching staff standpoint, but they keep, it, they keep themselves in it, and they, they really hit the ball well, especially their outfield. You know, they – They've got uh, four guys hitting over 340, and, and all four of them with an OPS over 1,000. Three of them, an OPS is over 1,200. So um, uh, a club that can really hit up and down the lineup. And we're going to end up seeing a former Rebel this weekend, too. Uh, on, on Sundays, they've been swapping two pitchers in and out. One of them will start, one of them will come out of the bullpen. Uh, but Cody Adcock, you know, he's, he's going to be coming back to Oxford. He's with Ole Miss last year. And he's, he's had a pretty good year, so it'll be interesting to see how he does coming back to Oxford. Obviously, Mike Bianco and the guys know him pretty well from his time in Oxford and, and hopefully know how to attack him. But he's pitched pretty well this year. Uh, on, on Friday nights, Hunter Holen, that's, that's the one we got to worry about. You know, I, whenever I look at weekend series, I always look to see how many lefties they're throwing. And, and Friday night, that's, that's Hunter Holland. He's, he, he's a lefty, and that's given us fits throughout the year. So... Um, you know, if we can get to him, though, after Doherty with his performance last Friday, I thought he pitched really well. If he can go up there and match him pitch for pitch and, uh, you know, hopefully get into their bullpen, then we can still Friday. And then you get Revis on the mound, JT Quinn, who I thought looked really good, both of them last weekend. Uh, you know, we've we got a pretty good shot to win this series this weekend. And 
uh, bullpen's kind of coming around a little bit. You see some arms hopefully starting to emerge a little bit. So, uh, but yeah, just just a really solid ball club top to bottom. You don't have to worry about Brady Tiger. That's nice. You just got to wonder when Dave Van Horn is going to let loose Hagen Smith, the big lefty coming out of the bullpen. So uh, that's that's one thing we'll have to watch for this weekend where he uses him. What are they are looking like hitting the ball? I remember two years ago they were like just monsters out there. They're they're just yeah. a machine. Um, and uh, is it that level, or have they dropped down a little bit? How does it look? Uh, well, they're they're pretty top heavy. About their first, I would say five, maybe six batters, something like that, are pretty tough. Uh, their entire outfield can really swing it. Jace Bofran, the the right fielder, is having an incredible year for him right now. He's hitting 391 with six home runs, and Jared Wegner is the big bat in the lineup. He plays left field for him, 370, 12 home runs. Uh, the the center fielder, Tavian Josenberger, he's hitting 362. He's got five home runs, but he's also the speedster, and that's kind of giving Ole Miss some fits a little bit this year with people running. Uh, you you kind of saw it Tuesday night with Memphis. Memphis was able to – to create havoc on the base paths, we were able to get out of it. But, you know, they ran a lot on Calvin Harrison, had some success there. But he's got seven stolen bases on the year. Uh, you know, like like I said, when whenever you have three guys with OPSs over 1,200 and four over 1,000, uh, yeah, they, they can really swing it. But, uh, you know, with the way Ole Miss's pitching staff, I, I, and I know it doesn't seem like it, but I, I think we really are starting to make strides uh, with with trying to figure out some roles and stuff like that. Uh, Mason Nichols, you know, he, he really didn't pitch bad, even though he gave up that walk-off home run uh, on on Sunday for the Rebels. He, he gave us, I think, two or three shutout innings going into that inning. So, uh, you know, I, I think things are starting to turn around a little bit for us, though. So if we can keep those guys at bay, uh, you know, we, we might have found something with the rotation with Doherty, Rebus, and JT Quinn and, you know, it shouldn't be too much longer until we're able to get Hunter Elliott back in there on that Friday night roll and then Riley Maddox back there in the bullpen again, too. So there's arms coming. We just got to keep our head above water. And, uh, you know, I, I I think Mike and the guys are, are starting to figure some things out to where they're, they're starting to be able to put 27 outs together in, in a game, which was really a struggle, you know, two, three weeks ago in particular. Yeah, let's let's talk about this Ole Miss pitching staff. You mentioned like Doherty on Friday night, and then you have Revis Saturday, and then you have JT mm-hmm. Quinn right now on Sunday. Grayson Saunier actually had a good outing against Memphis yeah. in the midweek. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things we talked about was ways that they could get Jack Doherty into the bullpen, you know, trying to get mm-hmm. him back to get that together. Has Ole Miss solidified their bullpen a little bit? Um is there a chance for Doherty to end back, end up back as the closer? How, how does how does all this look midway through the SEC season? I think there's absolutely a chance that he gets his way back into the bullpen because I I think Mike and the guys also know that that's what's best for this pitching staff. They they need to be able to bring Doherty out in the high leverage situations a lot like Arkansas's doing with uh, Hagen Smith right now, right? I mean, he was the Friday night guy. And but but they needed help coming out of the pen, so they just threw him back there and said, "Hey, we're going to bring you in whenever we need you throughout the weekend. And we're going to burn you that way." Um, that's that's what we need to do with Jack Doherty. But yeah, I definitely think there's a path there. Uh, number one, getting Hunter Elliott back, right? That's that's the big one. You got to have him back to go on Fridays. Revis is is a very solid SEC Saturday starter, so I think that that's a role he can take a hold of and and not let go. And then at that point. It's still a battle between J.T. Quinn and Grayson Saunier. 
like you said, Sonia, I thought looked really good Tuesday night against Memphis. Uh, he he was really locating this fastball in areas where where it wouldn't get damaged right there. And there it was the second inning, I think it was when I was watching it. There were two fastballs in particular, one right on the outside corner and one he brought it back into the inside corner and didn't get the call on on two strikes from the umpires. But but they were located really well. Uh, they, they had a lot of movement. They ran on him there. Uh, so that was really nice to see. He's not sitting there just throwing it over the plate, fastball over and over again, letting it get smashed. He's able to move it around, and I thought he located it well. Changeup was good. Slider was good. Uh, it, it was a very encouraging start for Sony A. Tuesday night against Memphis, and, and Quinn gets better, I think, every single time I see him pitch. I mean, that, that curveball just – I mean, it, it, it drops off the table. It's a real weapon for him. The, the fastball is hard. It doesn't move a lot, which is a problem. But if you're sitting there trying to gear up for anywhere from 94 to 96 and he drops that curveball in on you, uh, you know, that, that can really mess up the timing. And uh, that, I think I brought it up on a podcast earlier in the year when, when I watched JT pitch. The, the changeup seems to be a real weapon for him right now, too. It gave uh, – I can't remember who it was in the midweek, but he – one game he pitched, he, he was using that changeup a lot to work off that fastball, and it absolutely gave him fit. So it was it's it's really nice to see somebody have a three-pitch mix, just like Sonnier showing right now. So if that's your options on Sunday, then you're okay. You don't have you don't want that to be a debate for a Saturday starter. That's why it's so important for Rebus to be there and to hold that down. And after a shaky start against A&M, you know, uh, he, he really settled down after giving up runs early and – you know, you look up and he ends up getting through the fifth and I think pitched into the sixth before they finally pulled him. Uh, and, and that was real big with Jack giving the sixth the night before, too, before that weather delay. And, you know, they said Jack would have come out for the seventh if it wasn't for that lightning delay, which, you know, that obviously sucks because that would have been another inning. We didn't have to use our pen. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I think they're really starting to figure some things out right now. And now you've got to get Elliott back, get Doherty back in the bullpen, and then start figuring out roles from there. Uh, obviously, Doherty and Nichols be your late inning guys. Tocoian's been, I thought, pretty good so far as a freshman, right? He, he, he goes in there, he pitches a lot of innings, he gets out. Uh, Morrell, I, I, I think, has pitched incredible for us this year. You know, he, he leads the SEC in appearances by a pitcher right now. You know, we, we use him so much. So if we can get him, you know, or get somebody to lighten the load a little bit on him, I, I think his stuff will play up a lot too. So we've, we've got arms coming, especially Maddox comes back too. And, and if we figure this thing out, the back half of the schedule sets up for us to really make a run. Thanks again for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. Everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. From big name experts to insiders, coaches, and players. National championship just finished, and they actually were debating – all over the nation, whether or not UConn, who has won four na- or five national championships in 25 years, is a blue blood. It is absolutely ridiculous. Locked on College Basketball is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Derek, thank you very much for stopping by, buddy. All right, appreciate it, bud. Hi, Toddy. Hi, Toddy.